Welcome to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Now, the name of our program might be a bit unconventional, but for that better, so is our approach. We'll discuss traditional and alternative practices and therapies designed to improve and maintain the health of your best friends, your pets. With the ideas discussed on the show today, your pets could live longer and healthier lives. Now, here is Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. Hi, I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic in Holistic Center, Illinois. We have the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus, which we've been developing. And last night we met with our pool guy and uh, we're getting ready to put in a swimming pool here for dogs. That's going to be so much fun. And the thing I like about this project is how excited the, the plumber is. He's so excited. Know, he He's really, the nicest really guy. So if you're in Chicagoland, Roger Phelps is your guy. He's super sweet. And he's just like, I just love this idea. So yeah, <laughs> he doesn't want to work with somebody that much fun. Yeah. And he was, he was happy to customize <laughs> it. He wanted, he was hoping we would come up with a, you know, a new plan. Yeah. Something cool. Pool, something cool. Yeah. So he was really into it. That's it's a challenge sure. though, to come up with something cool. So if you guys can think of anything that's really neat, um, just let us know uh, anything different or unusual or something that you'd like to see. Um, one of the things that he came up with, which I thought was the greatest idea is having a really pretty good size shallow into the pool for dogs who just they want to play but they don't necessarily want to get in there and swim yeah um and you know they can have a lot of fun in the water just by being in the shallow end yeah they love it and they that's can just a great idea yeah. yeah i haven't really thought about it all the pools i've seen are just you know big pools yeah. but yeah so anyway um that's coming soon and it's a new project we're working on so we're so excited about it um, so have you guys heard about this whole thing with Soresto? Um, it's a flea collar. It's been around since 2012, but now there are all these complaints saying people's dogs are having seizures. People's dogs are dying at, you know, into the tens of thousands of animals have become sick from that. So we're going to talk about Soresto and we're going to talk about the main active ingredient, which has been on the market for quite a while. And it's in so many different places in your life. You probably may not even like know that uh, the ingredient imidacloprid is available throughout um, the pesticide industry from your home to plants to animals. So we're going to talk a little bit about what happens with imidacloprid and the Soresto collar and if you should be concerned. Um, there's so many concerns now and some of them have been unfounded. So we don't really know yet. And uh, some of the some of it's vague. So anyway, we're going to try to make some sense out of that one coming up in a little bit. If you had problems getting pet food, because a lot of people are complaining, they are missing out on certain ingredients. And some of our suppliers are now saying that the pet food is has, has to go up. The horse feed has to go up. They can't get the raw materials. They can't get um, meat to make pet food. What are we going to do? And we're going to kind of dive into that topic a little bit and just discuss like some of the things in the marketplace that are changing um, where we're at with pet food and why we have some of these shortages going on. I mean, literally bare shelves, 80% bare, uh, especially when you go to like a grocery store to buy your pet's food. Um, so uh, you probably would know that COVID would naturally have something to do with the whole pet food situation. Um, and I've noticed like we have these little pet social parties. So we have a puppy party on Thursdays and we have one on Saturdays. And a common uh, a common theme in all these parties when you kind of stand back and listen to owners talk and I try to attend them with my own dogs because I think it's fun and my dogs love it um, is that 
they're having a really hard time getting a puppy. So one guy said, oh, we were passed over again and again. And finally, someone took pity on us and we finally got a puppy. So, so many people were adopting last year that 900,000 dogs and cats found new homes last year. Uh, half of those being dogs at 452,000, slightly less than half uh, were cats. And then um, 48% of the cats were kittens when they were adopted. 42% were puppies when they were adopted. If you live in Texas, California, Georgia, Florida, or Arizona, those are your big uh, time places that were the leaders in adoptions. And 55,000 dogs were fostered during COVID. So no wonder we're having some pet food <laughs> chain of supply right, problems. Yeah, right. A lot of dogs out there and a lot of right. cats, but it's kind of competitive if you are uh, getting a new dog or cat. So it you know, we've had a lot of people just have to hold out and wait to get a puppy because there just aren't enough. That means a couple things. One, we've done a really good job spaying and neutering. Yeah. So um, spaying and neuter, great. Now um, the supply doesn't meet the demand. So um, anyway, uh, a lot of those puppies are coming in at a time where, you know, nobody's ever really had anything like this happen before. We've never had to shelter. I mean, my life, I've never had to shelter in place. Um, and then what is that doing to all these animals? And so we have Adria Maxa today. She's with the Better Bond Dog Training. Adria, you teach um, our pet classes here um, for puppies, and those are on Tuesdays at um, uh, 5 o'clock, 5.30 here in the dog park, up to 16 weeks. And then we have our puppy social here in our indoor dog park on Thursdays from 5 to 6 o'clock. Little puppies first, bigger puppies after uh, 5.30. Um, Adrian, what are you seeing right now um, in the training industry? So frequently now, their dogs are with them constantly. So then when they leave, these dogs are panicking because their pack members are gone. Uh, so that's probably one of the number one things that we're seeing, um, as well as people having socialization issues because we're not able to get out as much. Uh, we aren't having people come over. So our dogs aren't understanding how to interact throughout uh, different environments or with different people around. Okay. All right. And then, you know, like when you do go out, it's how close do you get to someone, you know? Right. Like, right. I mean, you can't, you don't necessarily do what you would do before, which is just go up to someone and be like, Hey, you know what I mean? And it just doesn't work. So, um, you know, some people are open to it. Some people aren't, but, you know, even keeping six feet of distance and keeping your dogs away from each other, isn't always the best thing. What is like some of the natural stuff they do when um, dogs meet each other for the first time and puppies like learn from that, right? Right. They do. Um, you know, they, they sniff each other. They, they get excited. Um, and one thing is, especially when you start working with dogs that um, you know, we got new puppies coming up to meet more experienced dogs. Um, those experienced dogs are teaching the younger ones how to play correctly. Um, and without some of that exposure, these puppies aren't learning necessarily all the best social skills, especially when we're talking about some of these rescue puppies that maybe have been taken away from their moms too young or taken from their litters too young. They're not learning those social skills. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, I guess you do learn from an older pet to a younger pet, right? Yeah, I really thought of, yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before. So what's your plan of action when you have puppies come in? Uh, so one of the first things we do, I like to address the separation anxiety as um, one of the big key things because that's going to affect everybody's daily life, right? Okay. Um, so we always recommend crate training. 
um, teaching your puppy that the crate is a really happy and a safe place to be. Um, and a common mistake that I see people make with crate training is that they're only putting the puppies in there when they are going to bed or when they're leaving to go to the store. And mm-hmm. what that's showing the puppy is every time I go in the crate, something bad happens. My pack leaves, Aww. and it's so it makes it a negative. Um, and so we frequently recommend is making sure that your puppy is spending some time in the crate, even when you're home. Um, we also always recommend feeding your puppy in the crate as well because it continues to make that a very happy, safe place for your puppy to be. Um, and honestly, even my 10-year-old dog still spends time in his crate every single day <laughs> just so that it still stays that happy and comfortable place for him. Oh, yeah, good. It's yeah. interesting because it, it seems like the, the dogs should have their own bedroom just like a, like a sibling would have its own bedroom, you know, a nice, comfortable spot where they can uh, – you know, relax and, uh, you know, and, and uh, kind of decompress. Exactly. They need their own getaway spot too. Um, you know, just, you know, like siblings, you know, if you get in an argument with your sibling, you go to your bedroom, slam the door. Um, I frequently make that association with the, the puppies and the dogs and um, having them have their safe, their getaway spot and their resting spot. <laughs> yeah. Good. I have a question as well. Um, I guess in your opinion, where do you feel there's the threshold between the puppy learning and the adult dog developing bad habits? Is there, you know, some of these bad habits learned early on, are they going to be permanent? Is most of these things correctable? Most of the time they are. The earlier we can catch these issues, the better chance we have at reversing them. Uh, we look at what we call an imprinting stage with puppies, and that starts actually at five weeks old and goes until they're 16 weeks. So if we can start creating these positive habits before they're that 16 weeks of age, those things stick very strongly into their, their natural daily lives. Um, and it's not impossible once they get older, um, but it definitely takes more patience, more time. Um, but like I said, as we start feeding those puppies in the crate, making it positive, um, I have different games that I play with my training dogs when they come to stay with me so that they see that the crate is somewhere exciting to be, somewhere that they want to be. Um, and it, again, it keeps building that confidence of this isn't a negative. This is a safe spot. Cool. Interesting. Yeah. Good. And like for uh, adult adopted dogs, say adopted at two or three years old and they haven't had any of that real basic training, um, do you kind of go back to the, to the basics again? Absolutely, we do. Uh, you know, we can't start in advanced, in advanced things if the dog doesn't understand, um, you know, those beginning functions. So a uh, common thing I talk about with my clients is if I put an algebraic equation on the board for a six-year-old and say, okay, figure it out or you have detention, well, that's not fair. They don't have each of the small individual skills to put together to be able to solve that equation. Um, mm-hmm. And so we're looking at the same thing with our dogs. We start very, very small. We start basic communication skills, teaching them how we communicate with them. Um, I teach you how they're communicating with you. Um, and then we slowly start putting those pieces together to start making it so that they can solve the larger problems. Okay, and when they gotcha. can't, we want them to look to their owners and go, okay, what do you want from me? And that way we're able to give them that guidance. Oh, cool. All right, good. Well, um, we've really enjoyed having you here um, to, you know, work with some of these puppies because I feel like, and like a lot of our really dog experienced staff feels like this 
is trouble in the making um, by not being able to get these dogs out and get them, you know, what, where they need to be and, and, you know, get them doing what they need to be doing at this time. So um, trouble later can be headed off by taking advantage of some of your local resources. In our case, we have dog training uh, with Adria puppy training, and then also uh, the Thursday social and the Saturday social. So thank you for being with us, Adria from the Better Bond dog training. She's located in Chicagoland and she does a lot of uh, home dog training as well. So your dog can go there. It's pretty cool. And, um, She's uh, been really a pleasure to work with. Thanks so much, Adria. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. You Take too. care. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks. So this crazy COVID nonsense, not, not nonsense, I guess, but I don't know. Everybody's getting kind of sick of this. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it, it really has. So we went to Florida last week and it kind of, um, we had to go because you went to medical manipulation class Mm -hmm. at the Chi Institute, which is in Reddick, Florida. And if you're doing traditional Chinese veterinary medicine, this is where you get trained to do this. So it's interesting. um, You are learning on equines Mm -hmm. and you came home and did some work on some of our horses, some of the horses in the rescue, and it's going really well so far. So um, the horses went from having these kind of like splayed out legs when they were eating to being able to just put their legs straight and put their head down to eat because they couldn't get their head down there before. Yeah. They couldn't stretch. And it's, it, we don't realize just normal day to day activity uh, that they can pop their joints out just like we can. Mm -hmm. And um, it creates what they call a restriction and that restriction, uh, it tightens the muscle and doesn't allow free range of motion, Mm -hmm. which then can transfer over to the tendons and ligaments and lead to injury. So um, it's, we've added that to our services to be able to yeah. help our rescue. you got to go back tw- two more times, right? Two more times, yeah. yeah. It's really intense, too. Yeah. I mean, there was no, like, break or Disney or there was nothing. It was no. <laughs> just Eight straight up, right? let's go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, every single day. Yeah. <laughs> and collapsing when you get back. But right. anyway, you know, kind of reminds you that, you know, there, there were your, your mask is your choice. I mean, I wore it still because, you know, I think, you know, it worked here um, when we had a staff member who had COVID, but yeah. you know, we, nobody else got it. She, to her credit, never took her mask off. Anyway, it just kind of reminds you of like, wow, another hot summer coming with the mask on. Yeah. So um, things with COVID just aren't like clearing up as quickly. And now, you know, obviously we've seen all these pets get adopted, but we're seeing things start to trickle down into um, the pet food markets, pet food shortages. A lot of people are complaining, where's the fresh pet? Where is the fancy feast? I can't find Shiba cat food anywhere, especially the wet cat foods and the, the wet and, and fresh dog foods. Um, can't find them. And the reason is uh, pet food shortages. And they're going on. Um, uh, one of the reasons um, fresh pet reports in their Pennsylvania location, 30 to 40 employees were on COVID testing or quarantining for uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So you have a constant issue with the worker supply chain. Then um, the cat food demand has also gone up dramatically. Dog food wet has gone up dramatically, almost by 15%. The cat food's gone up by almost 10%. So, you know, you're kind of fighting there. And um, there's just high demand with a lower worker supply that's not necessarily, you know, you kind of don't know from day to day. Like, is everybody going to you come into work and you're like, are my workers going to be okay this week? And you just don't know until it happens. And then pretty soon you've got a bunch of people out um, 
because they have to quarantine or out, you know, for, for certain situations. Such a dilemma because it, you know, it affects the, the beginning of the supply chain too, because there's, there's plenty of, of product, uh, but just processing that. Mm-hmm. You know, processing plenty, the product, and right. Because employees have to be there to process and if they're not, then the, well, I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you on the plenty of product issue because um, even some of the dog foods that have been like pretty standard priced, even the horse feeds that have been pretty standard priced. Um, since we started bringing in horse feed here, now I'm working with some of these suppliers. Um, we have a calm back feed dealership, so calming easy. Um, we brought in Total Equine, and he said that unless you give him a lot of notice, that you're going to run out of feed in this feed store because they can't get the raw materials to do it. The raw materials, it turns out, are actually being shipped to China. To they had China had, two years ago, a huge pork crisis. They are rebuilding their domestic supply of hogs, and um, they're doing it with, you know, by bringing in American-grown uh, grains. And um, so that's, that's one issue in the supply chain. So, um, you know, a lot of... Uh, one of our staff members has a horse. She said her horse feet went up by $5, $5 per, you know, so if you have like a huge barn full of horses, you've got, you know, a real problem on your hands, but um, nature's logic is a food that we just started carrying this year in the past uh, in 2020. And they have um, historically some cost increases. So in May of 2020, they absorbed their cost increase and didn't pass it on to the consumer, but they said they just can't do it anymore. So in May 2021, now they're going to have a cost increase. So the problems are the cost of the raw materials, the manufacturing costs, um, shipping and warehousing. And I'm assuming part of that problem is just with not having a dependable supply uh, of human beings and human resources to be able to work through an issue, um, you know, to, to be able to get these products to market. So, um, and also, you know, meat prices just in the last, um, you know, for humans on the human side, uh, meat prices have gone up almost a percent for beef and pork, a half a percent for poultry, and just a 0.2% for fish and seafood. But, um, our livestock producers are experiencing about a 12% increase in feed costs. So um, kind of interesting. I think there's a lot to come on what's happening in feed. That's for sure. I mean, it's going to be, (laughs) my biggest worry is that, um, you know, if you start to see increase in cost, it's going to affect the the pet budget in terms of of the type of foods they're feeding and things like that. And, um, uh, also, the replacements for that meat protein, uh, like the legumes, the pea protein, things like that, mm-hmm. have been used to replace meat protein. I'm afraid we may see more of that coming down uh, the line here, but uh, hopefully things can straighten out. Mm-hmm. So it says, um, according to this article um, uh, by Joel Cruz, um, local to Denver, it says um, that most producers lost money during the year last year, but that's been in the midst of some of the most extreme volatility in global food demand anyone has ever seen. Industry margins are far better today than they were in the spring, but there will be tighter windows of opportunity for the livestock and poultry sectors to profit in 2021. And those windows will be influenced by feed cost inflation. It's expected to increase by 14% for hog producers, 
13% for cattle producers and 11% for the chicken segment. But Sawyer pointed out the bright spots for the coming year as evolving market conditions may result in improved margins for producers. I don't know. This is um, just kind of a scary, weird time. I mean, something none of us have ever been through before. And what do you do? You know, um, China's the disease they had there was called African swine fever. Um, do you know anything about that? Because we've been through we both were raised on hog farms. So um, we've been through a lot of different kinds of serious um, swine uh, diseases, you know, in right. our lifetime, we've seen a lot of things and they'll just wipe out an entire farm. They can. What is it with pigs that make them so susceptible to something like that to just to have that happen? Well, it, you know, maybe it's it changed a little bit um, in more modern times, but at the same time, they're usually raised in confinement in larger numbers. Oh, okay. And um, unfortunately, it's just like, a, you know, a classroom, one child gets sick and then the whole class get, can get sick. Uh, it goes, it moves through the herd so quickly because they're so close together. Um, if they're raised in pastures, for example, you probably wouldn't see that. But pasture raising is, oh, really? is a more inefficient way to raise swine. Uh, but at the same time, um, you're going to see a lot less disease risk um, hmm. being outside versus inside. All right. Okay. So with 80% of the store shelves at some points throughout the country, I know people have been complaining it on some of the local, local Facebook group pages. Um, 80% of these these problems um, showing up as shelves being bare. Uh, where is my cat food? I don't know what I'm going to do next. Yeah, um, what am I going to sure. feed now? Um, we, you kind of got to think like, what are we going to do with all these resources we have? So we produce like a tremendous amount. I mean, billions of pounds of beef, poultry, um, swine every year in the United States. But, you know, you can't use all of that to make human grade food or even, you know, the traditional kinds of pet food that a lot of us, you know, really like, you know, like raw pet food or make it yourself pet food, stuff like that. So what do you do with the leftovers that happens in, in this industry? Changing the narrative around animal byproducts byproducts for pet food. Uh, another article here by Jordan Tyler. So the this article says, you know, you have all this extra stuff left over. So what, without getting too gross or too graphic, what does that mean? Well, it the trimmings of fat for the consumer, we don't like as much fat on the meat. Mm-hmm. So that's trimmed off. Um, the extra pieces that are, say, on a, a loin or something like that that's left over, uh, would go into the food and then also bone. Uh, we don't eat bone. Uh, at the same time, uh, it's a great source of calcium mm-hmm. and nutrients. If you, the basic uh, amount of meat that we consume off of a, an animal roughly averages about 67%. So there's quite a bit left over there that the argument is, is that it's more sustainable to use those products in pet foods, mm-hmm. then let them go to waste. Um, there's a lot of great arguments in the article about it. So like what's in them? Like what kind of nutrients and stuff are in them? Cause I think we're kind of all led to believe that there's nothing in there that anybody would want to eat Yeah, because that, people won't eat it. Well, it used that to be is that no way. good. Yeah. It used to be that way. It was kind of everything. Okay. You know, and everything left over and it did it just not have any nutrient nutritional value well it, it, right because they'd have to take the rendering and cook it at such a high temperature mm-hmm. in order to 
make sure that nothing bad was in there, um, that because you cook at a high temperature, you're taking a lot of the nutritive value out. So it was more or less like uh, a filler or uh, it doesn't have some benefits, but it often led to, uh, you know, consumers being turned off by it. Like, well, if it's, it sounds much better if we're talking about bone and meat trimmings and fat, mm-hmm. and that could be used as a protein uh, source as well. And, and for micronutrients, as long as you it's mean like fat. amino acids or right. what else is in there? Right. You get a uh, good, uh, good fats uh, okay. from the fat. You get the micro minerals and micronutrients from bone. Uh, of course you get meat protein from the trimmings. But the key is the processing of it. Right. You're and heating it up too much. You're ruining it. Yeah. Is that what you're have, saying? You're right. If you have to cook it um, at a certain temperature, mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe uh, our NND food is cold pressed. It's cold. It's, so, yeah, cold pressed. So it doesn't get an over a certain temperature to, mm-hmm. to knock down those nutrients. I believe it's 100. It's a raw dehydrated kibble, which right. is bifarmina, which, I mean, we always like that, but not everybody can afford it. And yeah. I get that. So. Everybody's been there, right? Right. So um, it says here, uh, this company that um, Jordan talked about in his article um, is called JBS. And they said that um, they produce rendered products, including byproduct meals and towel tallow, uh, producing approximately 15.7 million tons of these products annually. And to put that in perspective, he equivalented, equivalented that uh, weight to that of 2.4 million elephants which is kind of an wow. <laughs> kind of an interesting way to put yeah. it but uh, also they said in 2019 alone more than 45 billion pounds of cattle over 66 billion pounds of poultry and more than 37 billion pounds of swine were harvested in the United States sort of kind of makes me sad you know to hear it that way and I I, I yeah. don't know just having we have these cute two little cows that we took in and we thought, Oh, you know, maybe we'll, no, it's never going to happen. (laughs) We've already made plans to turn them into a team of oxen, which (laughs) when they're four, they get to become oxen as long as we can break them to ride and drive. (laughs) It's so ridiculous. I'll do anything to save these little cows. But, you know, when you kind of look at this as, as I mean, you know, a raw ingredient or an ingredient in pet food or ingredient in this or, or whatever. I think sometimes you just see appreciation and gratitude to that animal needs. People need to think about that a little bit. Don't waste it. Yeah, right. Because on the other side, you're going to you're going to take the best of and some of these really great food products are utilizing human grade food supply for protein, which yeah. is great. But it, we have to think about it on the consumer demand side. What's that going to do to pet food pricing as well? Yeah. So it, as long as it's, you know, just what they say, meat, fat, meat trimmings, mm-hmm. and limited cooking. So we're not blowing out a lot of the nutrients. Yeah. It, it's probably going to help keep the price of pet foods down and at the same time mm-hmm. offer a viable secondary source. And it's yeah. sustainable and, and it's all about sustainability now. Yeah. If you look at all the foods that are, dog foods are being produced, mm-hmm. sustainability is the key buzzword these mm-hmm. days. So it's a lot it's of dog food that's being produced in this country. Yeah. Yeah, and, and a lot of it now is solar power, right. all those kinds of things. But anyway, appreciate what you have. That's all I'm saying. Have some gratitude when you do eat that meat and know that it came from, it came from a living being. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, we're going to come back in just a minute. Talk about this whole deal with the Soresto collar and imidacloprid. What's the deal with this? There's always something coming up now with flea and tick products and everybody's getting really worried. What can I do? What is safe? But is the other stuff safe? The natural stuff? What's that going to do to your pet? We got to talk about that a little yeah, bit. It's important. And we have a couple of questions today from our Holistic Vet Advice page. Um, if you want to join us on it, it's Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. This is um, this page is uh, available to anybody who wants to join our group, and um, you can ask questions. We'll try to help you out. And we have a couple about allergies and the older dog's ability to see and hear. Um, uh, just, just some questions about that. So that's coming up. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, a former admissions officer at the University of Pennsylvania, and featuring her fellow admissions and college finance experts from Bright Horizons College Coach. The show shares what colleges are really looking for and how to highlight your hard-won achievements for the best chance at success. New episodes air every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel channel voice america programs are now available on your favorite connected device including amazon alexa and google home through streams with apple podcasts tune in and iHeartRadio. listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast hey alexa play finding your frequency podcast if that doesn't work try adding on tune in or on iHeartRadio or on apple podcasts Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Awesome Woo Woo Holistic Vet Advice. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to holisticvetadvice at gmail.com. Now back to this week's program. 
Hi, everybody. I'm Kristen Carlson here with Dr. Jim Carlson. We're at Riverside Animal Clinic and Holistic Center. We're now located at the Healthy Pet Lifestyle Campus here in McHenry, Illinois, which is in Chicagoland. So if you're ever around, come by and see us. We're getting mm-hmm. a swimming pool soon for our dog friends. It's going to be so like, much fun. Yeah, I've got our poor little puppy, Chorky, here if you're joining us on video today. Um, you can see us on video if you ever want to on our uh, Facebook group, which is Holistic Vet Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. So you can find that. You can ask us questions and join in. Okay, so we've got that coming up. Um, <laughs> little Chorky here had her eye removed. Um, some of you might remember she was kind of at the end stages of Panis. Um, we did for a long time, we did some colloidal yeah. silver, we did Rex specs, we did Optimune for a long time. This yeah. has been a problem for years for Chorky, but um, I went home three weeks ago and she had this really bad crusting over her eye and it kind of started to come off and it just looked really bad, very ulcerated. So she came in and we had to go ahead and take her eye out, appreciate our daughter helping do all of that surgery because she didn't want me to have to see my puppy yeah. that way. So protective. <laughs> she did super well. And it's yeah. um, the, the condition is uh, basically what happens is the eye is not uh, being receiving the nutrition that it did before. So that's usually through tears and circulation. And uh, when that gets reduced, um, unfortunately, you get inflammatory uh, conditions on the cornea. It's called the panis. And then uh, reduced blood, you know, tear flow uh, to the eye and blood flow causes the eye to dry out, mm-hmm. and it's the protective mechanism is no longer there. So mm-hmm. you can get um, secondary overgrowth by Pseudomonas bacteria. You can get ulcers, uh, but it does cause a lot of pain because it's we the facial basically the cranial nerves, um, the optic nerve uh, is one of those, and it's right there next to the brain. So. It, doesn't have far to go before you feel extreme discomfort Mm -hmm. and uh, so we felt it was time but she uh, did awesome yeah now panis isn't the only reason though that we have another dog who came in here yesterday and she had also had her eye removed yeah previously Winnie and um, she said hers was from glaucoma right diabetes is another thing that can cause increased eye pressure Uh, and uh, usually you get the secondary uh, you know the uh, the cataract and then the mm-hmm. cataract creates the extra pressure in the eye and sometimes they don't even have cataracts it's just increased pressure because the fluid can't flow equally out of the eye and that causes extreme pain and discomfort obviously there's trauma too because uh you know dogs as they're playing and running um, especially the short uh, nose breeds are more uh, susceptible so like the boston terrier oh, for really? example is more susceptible to eye injury because they're such active little dogs and <laughs> yeah. their nose is so short that everything is right there for injury so, so cute so injury is another reason Aww. but uh and uh dog fights i've i've unfortunately had a, a, a few of those few cases of yeah, those where sad. the uh the eye actually was uh let's cover this up for you okay. was injured and i'll let you yeah. down and i know you went down she um, did super though They do make doggy eye patches. I saw them on Etsy last night. I figured I could maybe get my sewing machine out, even though I haven't sewn for years, but (laughs) I still have that machine. So (laughs) I just might order one. (laughs) (laughs) Probably be easier, but they're pretty cute. They come in little pirate, little pirates with flowers. So I uh, love them. (laughs) Dog clothing and the, you know, the the dog accessories are so cute, but sometimes it's like Chucky. She just doesn't want to wear them. She's kept the the bandana on for a while, but I don't know. (laughs) She'll rip it out. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, I had a question for you about uh, dogs who've had surgery. So uh, I just lifted her up and it's been at least three weeks since she had a bath. So she smells terrible. <laughs> um, Yorkies kind of do that. They kind of smell like they, they get kind of greasy coated fast. Yeah. And there are other breeds that do that too. So she's pretty stinky. How long do you have to wait after surgery before you give your dog a bath? Really when the stitches come out and that averages about two weeks. Okay. And then you can go ahead and bathe them. That's after spay or neuter or something like that. Yeah. Any, really any surgery. Okay. Um, you know, once the stitches are out, the, the tissue is closed and sealed. So the, the water from the bath is not going to seep in there and cause infection. I mean, one of the things that, you know, we do appreciate is when you do bathe your dog before surgery and coming in That's with a, a clean idea. dog is, is important because yeah. you know, there's a lot of bacteria, a lot of stuff going on. Um, it's not always possible, but if you can do it, uh, starting off with a clean dog is pretty important. Yeah, get them groomed ahead of time is a great idea. Yeah, then you're good for a while, okay, during that recovery. So uh, all these people are like, what is happening to my dog again? Okay, <laughs> this time it's the uh, Seresto Fleantic collar. So these have been around since 2012. And we actually just, we took in this cat. So we took in this cat named, well, we named it Boris. He's super cute. He's like this huge cat. And he came in and he had a Soresto flea collar on. I don't know for how long. He was like a community cat that was like maybe born outside, but he's mm-hmm. super friendly and sweet and he could go inside. So he's like just this big oaf. He basically just lays around. (laughs) But even he came in with someone at some point thought they were doing the right thing. You know, probably was for Boris because I don't even know what he probably had going on. But um, he came in with a Soresto collar on. So um, Boris was just neutered, by the way. We took care of that. Our doctor, Barbara Peterson, came in to handle that for this like community that wanted this cat neutered. So we, we did take care of it for free and she was very sweet to come in and handle that. So I just wanted to thank her for doing that anyway. Okay. So people's dogs are like saying that their dogs are dying by the tens of thousands. They have been injured 75,000 incident reports on the Soresto collar, but nobody knew about this the whole time. So it's just coming out now. People are saying uh, it's all the things that they're saying with all of the other like isozazolin medications. So those are like your next guard, uh, Brevecto, mm-hmm. um, those kinds of things. And um, they're saying it's, you know, seizures, death. Um, 1,700 deaths are being claimed due to the Soresto collar. People want something done about this. But is this actually reality? We don't know. Um, there's no research in it yet there's no additional like did this really happen did we necropsy all of these animals that were injured allegedly by the Soresto collar nobody really knows at this point so don't um I, I would just caution you based on past history with stuff like this that's been going on from you know making any decision for yourself about Soresto until you um you know kind of get all the facts would I use it in that time probably not personally Right. I've never used a flea collar. I, I don't like them. But the Soresto collar works when you put it on by going through the animal's entire body, right? Yes. It, and it's on the neck, obviously, but it's the amount of product that's coming off intermixes in the oil glands of the skin. And it should spread out over time, making the body 100% protective uh, against okay. fleas and ticks. Um, the, the problem with collars is that you know, this collar lasts eight months. So we can't really know how much is coming off at one time. 
uh, how you know the thinner skin dogs may have more product coming in than thicker skin dogs. So thinner skin dogs are going to be your dogs that are going to be really over seven years of age. Gotcha. Um, the concentration of it uh, can be too much for some dogs. It's like essential oils. Some dogs can do great with that and some dogs can't. So, uh, you know, in collars, because they, they're on eight months, uh, the, the question is, you know, if the smaller the animal, probably higher concentrations of the product. But aren't they in. staged for like cats or 10 pound dogs or? They are, but even, even it seems like the smaller breeds are always more susceptible than larger breeds. Oh, really? Interesting. I, you know, I mean, we have the whole grain-free thing with the dog food, which is why I'm telling everybody not to just rush to judgment. So the thing with the dog food is everybody said that the grain-free dog food was causing dilated cardiomyopathy. Well, um, the government was like, okay, we're going to stop this. We're going to tell people, we're going to like let them know that this is a possibility. Right. And then they did all their research. They went through all those cases and discovered it wasn't true. Um, so you know, this is another kind of situation. So the government also put out um, a label uh, requirement on isozazolines that there may be a problem with them. You know, mm-hmm. your dog might have a seizure or whatever. Um, so this is kind of the same thing. Okay. But this um, isozazolines are a newer product and they work differently than imidacloprid. So I'm not like standing up for Soresto or anything. I'm just telling you like what's in it. So in 1994, they started using imidacloprid which mimics nicotine and nicotine is toxic to pets. So they figured out a way to take that and make it work um, to kill a a pest, not a pet, but a pest. Okay. So they use it in crops. They use it on homes. You can shake it around your trees, your bushes, that kind of thing to get rid of insects that, you know, you obviously don't want there. Um, Somehow in 1994, they started uh, moving this into um, other flea and tick products for pets as well. Um, It disrupts the um, way uh, the neurologic uh, how do I put it, Jim? Like the neurological way um, a pest, not a pet, but a pest mm-hmm. uh, operates. So it just yeah. goes straight to their neurology and boom. Right, right away. And, and uh, the Soresto collar, it, it distributes itself into the oil glands. So when the flea or tick lights down, it dies before the, the, the organism has a chance to bite. Okay. Okay, and, and some of the other products that are topical, uh, sometimes the pet or the pest, I should say, the flea or tick has to bite the pet okay. in order to get the product ingested. And sometimes you can get flea allergy dermatitis because they have to bite them to, in order to, to get uh, the toxin. Okay. Um, they are neurotoxic, so we have to be careful of the health of the pet. And in some of these uh, ca- cases, if I were to scrutinize the, the number of cases that were coming in of adverse events, the question that I would have is how healthy was the pet when it was applied? Because the pet has to be healthy in order to be uh, mm-hmm. have these products applied. And so we don't know the health status of these that had reactions. The other thing is a certain percentage of them are just going to be, uh, you know, it comes from the watchdog groups to watch the EPA and watch these products. Mm-hmm. At the same time, is there some controversial, uh, is it just people saying so and never had a pet that had a reaction, right. you know, things like yeah. that. Um, the other thing is, you know. Uh, but I think it's good, you know, to, to use it with caution. 
exactly. at this point. You because, should. you know, you can pick up a Soresto collar at the store. Like, you don't have to come here to get a Soresto collar. And they're the You can just go get too. one. And, yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, the over-the-counter products are always, it's just, I mean, some of them are pretty bad. And I'm not saying Soresto is or any of the other over-the-counter products, but some of the ones that are more like right. they've been around forever, they're using permethrins, pyrethrins. Yeah. Those you don't want to put on your animal at all. You have to talk to your veterinarian about the products you're using mm-hmm. because um, there are other flea and tick collars out there that you can purchase. Um, but the problem is if you're buying them over the counter, who are you going to ask? Is this going to work? Right. Is this the right size? How does this mm-hmm. product work? What do I do if there's an adverse event? Mm-hmm. And uh, all the products that we've used in clinic uh I cannot recall one adverse event on any of the products we're using from oral Brevecto to topical, uh, you know, frontline. Vectra we used for quite a while. Uh, Vectra had, was so quick. That had some, that had some adverse events though. We don't, we don't sell that anymore. Right. And, and the only thing that the, most of the adverse event to that was just the quick transit time. Mm -hmm. So the time you applied it to the, the time it was affected was 20 minutes. I mean, that's moving quickly once you, and that's a spot on. So you just put it in one spot and the entire body is, is protected in 20 in minutes. 20 minutes, yeah. So you know how fast that would feel like a ice cube down your back, you know, and a lot of the pets didn't, they didn't like that, that sensation. No, they didn't like that at all. So, uh, so um, according to the National Pesticide Information Center, uh, imidacloprid binds better to insect nerve cells. So it's not as toxic to mammals and birds. So yeah. that kind of scares me. Not as toxic. Um, <laughs> not as toxic. That one I'm not sure I like very well. But I guess, you know, it's it is one of those things. Midicloprid has been around for almost 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. We're just hearing about this Soresto situation, and that's been going on since it's been on the market for nine years. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's just something maybe you should be cautious with. I'm not sure. I would. I mean, I've never bought a Soresto collar because it just doesn't interest me. Mm-hmm. Um, and our dogs. I mean, they're in the woods. They're. It's our dogs just need full on coverage because of where we live and how we live and stuff like that. Yeah. And it was interesting too that you know we think about something being on the pet like a collar is young children in the house or or elderly oh, folks yeah. in the house mm-hmm. where there can be cross reactivity to the human. Um, lots of cases where that, you know, the pets sleep with us, mm-hmm. you know, and they sleep yeah. with the kids and stuff like that. They're so, always like playing with them and stuff. Right. So. so there was a lot of demand for the internal, the oral products mm-hmm. and not going external the anymore. Topical. Mm-hmm. And people, it, it's, it's consumer demand and, and, you know, Brevecto has been a great product for us, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as far as protection and haven't seen the side effects, but you just have to use it with caution. You know, yeah. talk to your veterinarian about what's the risk because every product's going to have a reaction. I don't care what you're using. Uh, you know, even probiotics, you can have a reaction to that. So, mm-hmm. you know, everything is, has a potential. It's just the appropriate use of that. And there's no greater person to talk to than a veterinary professional. Ask them. We know what, you know, what products we use and the experience in the field and, and how that applies. I think the experience means a lot. Yeah, it does. You know, I mean, I know you can go into a store and, and buy practically anything. You can get a prescription for anything, of course. That's totally fine. Whatever. It's just uh, it's just the caution of what you're putting on there and being careful. And honestly, mm-hmm. there are a few um, natural products that I do like 
but not that many. So you got to kind of be a little bit careful with the natural products as well. So, you know, just bypassing flea and tick, um, you know, a lot of people are doing that and that's fine. Just don't take it too far, like offer some relief if you need to. So be prepared to do that. And, um, you know, consider what you're still putting on your dog anyway, because essential oils can be toxic. They can cause reactions. We've seen it. Um, So anyway, just talk to your vet, um, especially if you can find a good holistic vet to just go over the whole flea and tick thing with you Mm -hmm. and just find a good solution for you. Okay. And then, um, you know, as far as the labeled products go, just keep following them. See what comes out of it. Um, Nobody knew when it came to the dilated cardiomyopathy issue and the grain-free foods, that whole thing that came out. No one actually knew (laughs) that um, the FDA had completely reversed itself and didn't find a problem. Um, It was just sort of found at some small conference in uh, Kansas somewhere. And somebody publicized it. Some veterinary student went and said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. And they haven't said anything. And, you know, they've been forced to since, but um, she called them out. Yeah, <laughs> Good for her. You know, it, it, truth matters. Yeah, right? yeah, it does. So we have a couple um, of questions on our holistic vet advice page with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson. That is on Facebook. It's a group. You can actually just join it and um, uh, we can, you know, give you some advice. We've been a little offline lately because we've had to travel and, yeah. you know, just do, do a lot of extra stuff around the farm and everything. Um, can kitties take allergy meds? They can. They're more sensitive, um, but they can have antihistamines. Um, it's used off-label, and your veterinarian is uh, able to prescribe those uh, at the required amounts. Um, most commonly, steroids are used as an allergy treatment. Um, kitties do tolerate those really well, but limited use because we don't want to overuse those. Dogs are much more sensitive to steroids than cats. Uh, but at the same time, um, if they're really uncomfortable, that's the fastest route to go. But as I always tell my clients is that we can use something when they're in pain and they're suffering from the illness, more conventional medicine, but we do have to get them back on track so they're, uh, we understand what caused it and how we can prevent it in the future. So if a cat wakes up, um, and this is kind of one of her questions as well, if the cat wakes up and it's suddenly got runny eyes, a runny nose, um, a cough, something like that. How do you know like what that is? Is it allergies? Is it a cold? If it's sudden, why would they do that? Well, kitty uh, upper respiratory tracts are exactly like ours. They're a very good model for humans. And um, we've all woke up in the morning and had kind of crusty eyes and runny nose. Um, So changes in environmental temperature, drafts, things like that, where the kitty was sleeping uh, can affect them. Um, Also, if you did some recent remodeling uh, and did some painting and things like that. Air quality. Air quality is probably the number one thing to look at. New carpet, uh, sleeping by vents that haven't been cleaned, I suppose. Yeah. Something like that. Fired up your furnace or just fired up your air conditioner. Mm -hmm. You're going to get dust and things like that too. And actually, um, you know, one of our cats, uh, I just started kind of supplement regimen with all of our cats you know and one of them kind of started goose honking after that so he'll maybe once an hour let out a cough that sounds like (gasps) like Mm -hmm. that he kind of sounds like a goose a little bit Mm -hmm. and um so he i think maybe inhaled some of those supplements so i had to start mixing them up better not just pouring them on top of the 
fancy feast cat food, which he loves. So I feed it to him because he's like 18 or 19 years yeah. old. He can do whatever he wants. But yeah. um, so I have no problem getting fancy feast because I have it on subscribe and save for Chi Chi. Yeah. <laughs> <But Yeah. laughs> everyone else is out. But yeah. anyway, so um, he, you know, I did notice that too. So I guess you kind of have to look at that too. You know, it's important to take into consideration that probably 80% of the time is something in the air or some environmental change. The other 20% can be due to virus or bacteria. Uh, you know, especially cats when they're kitties can acquire Khaleesi and herpes virus okay. and leukemia virus. And they can respond and be what they call a natural carrier, but non-shedder. So, and when there's times of stress, you'll see that virus react. It's, it's retroactive. Herpes and Khaleesi virus uh, and leukemia virus, especially herpes and Khaleesi, uh, live inside the cell and they're dormant in that DNA and RNA. And so mm. they're sitting there and, and once they're fired up, they can start to replicate their proteins and lead to reaction. I just met with one of our drug reps yesterday um, who helps us with our vaccines because we do vaccinate here. Um, uh, see an importance of vaccination, but it's very light. It's very customized to everything the animal does. So mm-hmm. don't say we're not holistic enough because we use <laughs> vaccines. I hate that. So um, anyway, she said there's like a novel Khaleesi virus now. So there's a vaccine available for that too. I mm-hmm. just thought of that when we were saying talking about it. Um, and another question today from our holistic vet advice group, can a regular vet determine an older dog's ability to see and hear, or do I need to take my dog to a specialist? A uh, specialist is always a great idea, especially with sight issues uh, because they have special equipment. Um, there's specifically working on eyes, at least in our area, we have a wonderful uh, organization called eye care for animals. Um, and Dr. Wasserman has done a wonderful job with my referrals. Um, and I always use him in those special cases where we need to know, okay, what exactly is going on with this mm-hmm. pet's eye? So seeing a specialist is probably a good idea. Best Do they idea. have a pet hearing specialist though? N- not that I know of. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I've never, yeah. never I've been asked that question before. I don't think, but uh I don't know if you're ignoring me. No, <laughs> no I, I don't. Are they ignoring you or are they, uh, you know, I don't yeah. know. But uh, Interesting concept. We just kind of figured out one of our horses is actually deaf. We didn't know. So yeah. uh, figured it out after a long time of just behavior observance. So anyway. that'd be a great specialty. Yeah. All right. Well, we better go today, but thanks yeah. so much for joining us. Be sure to check us out. Holistic Fed Advice with Dr. Jim and Kristen Carlson group on Facebook. We hope you join us. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening this week to awesome woo woo holistic vet advice please join your host dr jim and kristen carlson again next thursday morning at 8 a.m pacific time and 11 a.m eastern time on the voice america variety channel now go make some time with your best friend